Welcome everybody to the Therapeutic Blueprint podcast. This is season two, episode nine, and it is part two of the Safer Recruitment Duo. So firstly, I'd like to introduce myself. I am Hannah and the other two people that we have with us this evening, as always, the glorious producer Stu and editor-in-chief Ian. Say an enthusiastic hi, guys. Hiya. Howdy. Oh, God, Stu. Well done, Ian. Yours was good. <laughs> I can do it. That was enthusiastic. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, so let's get chatting. So we, last time we finished up, we had just kind of essentially talked about the interview process to the point of thinking about appointing someone. And we're now at the point where we have found someone that we feel is right for the role and we want to offer them a job. And at this point, Stu, I'm going to hand it over to you because I know you feel strongly about the next section. So carry on. Yeah, I am. Um, it was something that we 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 kind of developed in, in a role we were working all side by side. Where was how do we kind of offer somebody a position? And we we may have mentioned in the last podcast or the pot or another podcast before was that interviews are a two way process. They're an audition for both people. That you know it's not just about somebody being right for the role. It's us being right for them too. So we talked about kind of offering a position to somebody, but not saying give us an answer straight away. I mean, not many people might want to do that anyway, but we want to give some people time to have a think to then come back to us and say, yeah, I've had a think about it and I'm and I'm willing to take, you know, I want to take on the role. And that's when we then start to kind of get the ball rolling, but give them a few days, potentially a week to have a think about it. And not, not even, I mean, there has to be some kind of time limit, but actually just give them some space to go and have a think because if you're coming on board, you're coming on board to join what we're trying to do. And it's going to be, without saying like a, an X Factor contestant, it's going to be a journey. So have a think about it and then come on board. Yeah. Yeah, and I think actually what you said, I've kind of probably jumped the gun slightly because the other part of it is that we didn't mention is if someone isn't successful, in that moment, tell them why they're not successful in a really kind way and give them direction in the areas that you would like to see them um, work on. Because we've all got areas that we need to work on. Sometimes it is as simple as actually you might need a bit more experience with working with children. Why don't you try this, this and this and then come back to us again in six to eight months, 12 months time. But I think sometimes that kind of gets missed out. And I think one of the worst things that organisations can do, and I generally do mean this from a professional standpoint, is just vanish and not give any response to feedback, any feedback on the interview per process for someone and just shoot out an email and say, I'm sorry, you're not successful. I just feel yeah. like you lose the personal element there. I mean, tell me what you think, Ian. It doesn't help with the reputation of an organisation, does it? You've got to think about that effect as well because that, that person will pass their frustrations on to other people potentially. And and actually, I think it that attitude actually disseminates into other areas of our care if we think it's okay to not inform someone. How actually further down the line that, that could actually, when there's concerns in a home, for example, do we have do we inform a parent? Or do we just let the social worker know and we start to be selective about who we inform about other things if, if we've got that sort of attitude that, oh, it doesn't matter? And, and actually, it can't. 
Yeah, and also if it's about avoiding a tricky conversation, because it's never nice to, to be able to say to, to have to say to somebody, you were unsuccessful. You know, it yeah. would be much easier to do it by email, wouldn't it? Um, and but that's about us and not about them. And I think Hannah used the word that we often use about kindness, and it is about protecting your reputation as well. Because let's not forget, I can I I, I can open Indeed right now, um, or the other recruitment apps are available but I can open Indeed right now and I can write a review on everywhere that I've worked yeah. you know what I mean yeah. and and based on my experience or my mood can impact on what that what that looks like so for me I think you you know there may be times that you know it, it, it is an email but I, more often than not I would think it, you know it's a phone call you know it's a phone call and say you know what went well what didn't go so well and where they where they could improve, like you know, off, offer some guidance. I think what Hannah said there was, actually, if you're not ready for a children's home, but but maybe you're ready for this. Maybe you could do a bit of PA support, or you could do a bit of outreach work, or you could do a bit of volunteering. Yeah. You know, you could find something another way. And it might be the case, and this I don't want this to sound arrogant, that actually, you might not be ready for our organisation yet because of our therapeutic intervention or the way we work. But you might find it elsewhere. Don't feel that. This, where I know is, you're not right. It's just that you may not be the right fit for us right now. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose we've talked about now offering the job. I think the next step of the safer recruitment is now my head goes straight to Children's Homes Regulation Schedule 2 and <sighs> the paperwork that we need to start doing behind the scenes for getting someone safer recruit to be able to come in to our building and work with our amazing children, right? So let's break that down. I'm just actually on the top. I probably could do it on the top of my head, but Sue, if you can pull up the regs as well. For on the, <laughs> the top of my head, one of the, a few things that you need is you always need a proof uh, picture of the person that you've interviewed. You need to have the DBS and you need to physically check the hard copy, which is often missed. Um, because yeah. as I had a police officer once tell me, there was a lot of fake um, DBSs going around and they look yes. slightly different. So that's important. People always say to me, why do you have to check the original hard copy? Well, one of the reasons you have to check the original hard copy, one to see it is make sure it's not a fake, but on that original is where it tells you if there's any criminal convictions. The update yeah. service just says if there's any edits or changes. Am I right or yeah. wrong, Ian? No, you're absolutely correct. And definitely what I will say there straight away is, you, you physically need to see it to feel the, the paper. The same yeah. with birth certificates and ID to actually feel the integrity of the paper yeah. um, because a lot of documents like birth certificates will be on a very dense paper, won't they? Yeah. And actually hold them up to the light to yeah. see if they have been tampered with. I'm, I'm gesturing like Stu normally <laughs> does here and uh, yeah. no-one's going to be able to see listening. But hold it up <laughs> to the light. See, have you know, has there been any tampering of, of people added anything onto there or amended anything yeah. in any way. So, yeah, you do absolutely need to see the physical copy. Yeah. And the same with, with all documents. Yeah. Or, or the documents you need to see yeah. them. Like, we normally ask to bring them to interview, actually. Um, so yeah. then you've got them from the outset and then you can make absolutely. copies. But I think it's, it's a really important part here, which often gets missed in organisations, is once you've seen those copies, you sign that you've seen the yeah. copies and the original copy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that that gets missed a lot, doesn't it, Ian? I it does, Hannah. I, I pick it up in regs all the time. Yeah. I always advise you need to write original document seen by, yeah. sign and date it to prove that you've actually seen it. Because yeah. I would I, I argue straight away there, was it the manager or the person conducting the safer recruitment who took a photocopy of that or did the candidate actually provide them with a photocopy? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you, you actually need to, to prove that, yeah, that that person actually did see the physical document. And the only way you can prove that is is by signing, isn't it, to, to validate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think then the next bit that we're moving on from the top of my head here, so Stu, correct me if I'm wrong on anything, um, you also need two references, one that was from the most relevant and another one uh, recent, adding additionally. Yeah, re- yeah recent, recent yeah, sorry, yeah. not relevant. Um, and again, those two references need to also be checked a phone call to check that the person who worked yeah. there saying is is the person that wrote them any additional information they want to provide and then that yeah. also needs to be recorded that you've done that absolutely We've... go on there's there's a key question there as well sorry um that you need to ask them were there any safeguarding concerns yes yeah thank you Ian. you must yeah. always make sure that you ask that and again document that but again any any references that you receive make sure that they've come from a reputable email address and a head or a headed document yes. a headed letter again you can double up then and check on company house that the company actually exists but yeah you don't want somebody's hotmail no. Unless it's a character reference, that, yeah. that would be different. But, yeah, professional yeah. reference. Is it? Is there a heading on that letter or a business logo or a workplace email address? That That's really important. And and just um, while you mentioned there, um, telephone verifications, ideally you want an office number yeah. where that telephone number's registered to a building rather than yeah. a mobile number. A lot of places are more mobile, though, these days. That's the only thing I would say to that. I don't disagree with you in at all. I just, I, my brain just goes to, it's a lot of them are, are very much mobiles these days. But um, again, you, you can often pull those numbers up online if, yeah. if they're a business number, can't you? Like, you're like totally. HR department, for example, yeah, so. So then I'm going to move on to they need a full employment history and with that they need a satisfactory a satisfactory no that word satisfying yeah, that Satis- right. thank you Expl- thank you explanation of any gaps in employment yeah this one's a really hard one and Stu I know how many opinions yeah. you have on this because yeah. <laughs> Gaps in employment and employment history, like we are going right back to childhood finishing from school here, which, as you know, we're clearly spring chickens, the three of us. It can go quite far back now. (laughs) Um, But like what go on, Stu, I know you're going to have some things to say on this on this side. It's I mean, my, my mind goes back to I have to go back to 1991. You know, when I, if I become recruited today, and that, but that wasn't when I left school. That was when I started <laughs> secondary school, just before you start. And I do feel that, you know, I think it's it's that difficulty where, you know, I mean, when there are career breaks or gaps in employment, they can be they can be kind of scrutinised massively. So I can leave a job on a Friday. 
start a new job on a Monday and I have to explain where I was on the Saturday and the Sunday. Do you know? And I find, personally, I find some of that kind of a bit tedious. But, um, and I think, you know, the, this is where things kind of triangulate. I mean, I, I've started to write on things where, because, I mean, I had, I, I had a period where I didn't need to work, so I kind of started jobs and found that I didn't like it and I moved on. So I might have a month off here and a month off here, and I found myself having to say that I had a career break, and it was, you know, and I didn't leave the country, for example, because I think that's part of the, the concern is that you've you've left the country and, and something like that's yeah. occurred. But again, that is just what I'm saying. I'm not offering my passport to kind of say, here's the stamps of where I've been and... So I do find. No, but you it, would it, need <laughs> that if you worked abroad. But you, on a serious yeah, yeah. note, you would need to prove it if you yeah. worked abroad. And I've worked abroad, and I've needed to prove that I was. I mm. didn't do any safeguarding concerns over there. As you know, I work in America, so I have letters from sheriff department. Sheriff, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. have. I have because I have to prove that I haven't done anything. So. I suppose the other thing with gaps in employment is it needs to be to the day. I think a lot of errors get made because people go June 2022 to June 2023 is a gap in employment. But was it the 1st of June? Was it the 23rd of June? Like it can get really specific. They really want to break that down um, to the date versus the month. And I pick up on that quite a lot when I do regs um, that that gets missed. I think it's one of those things, it's like a CV that you've kind of got to keep on top of, but, you know, it can become a bit frustrating from the further you have to go back. Of course. But I suppose, in in essence, ultimately, while, it's a, while it is a minor inconvenience to me, it's not the end of the world, is it? You know, I think I yeah. just need to kind of sit down and fight. And, and actually, part of that probably is that we, knowing that we're in this profession and this is what people need and why it's needed that actually you've just got to kind of be better at keeping that information up to date like a cv yeah. but, but also i suppose I but i but i suppose this highlights one of the things that we're saying like if you get frustrated by doing it then that can end up becoming a safer recruitment problem because that's where something mm. could get slipped and a date could get missed and that could be a very pivotal moment in in something that's happened to someone so there are reasons why these are regulations and sadly as we all know policies and procedures and regulations get put in place because of past issues that have happened so that's important to note but also i think other things to note i forgot to mention actually when i was talking about uh, the dbs it needs to be an enhanced dbs for working with children and young people so there is that is a difference um the other thing that also in the schedule two is we need document proof of any qualifications um again, size of the originals yeah yeah yeah, okay, yeah. 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 well yeah, i'm please. i'm actually about to laugh here because i can remember when i was getting i was being um interviewed for one one of my fit persons <laughs> for a registered manager and i just qualified for my undergrad and the Ofsted inspector went to fold my certificate in half i went please don't <laughs> <laughs> and he was like oh i'm sorry because <laughs> i wanted to put it back in my frame <laughs> i'm just looking around my home office home office spare bedroom um to see if i can find and i don't know if anybody else will remember this the burgundy with gold embossed right in the national record of achievement oh, that we had to complete i do remember that i totally do and, 
It exists. It's here somewhere, but I just I can't see it. Um, right, going back to this, just trying to think if we've missed any anything out. Oh, if a person has previously worked in positions involving work with children or vulnerable adults, verification so far as reasonably practical. Hang on, Ian, you might have to cut this out. Sorry. So far as reasonably practicable. 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 How do you say it, Stu? Practicable. Practicable. Um, of the reason why the employment or position ended. But I, I would say that would normally be in your application anyway because you put why your yeah, history yeah. of... Reason, yeah, reason but for it, leaving, absolutely. But it's important to, to say that. that. So I think it so I think we've covered... Let me just check now because I now have the regs in front of me versus winging it. So proof of identity, including a recent photograph... Yeah. Um, we've talked about the uh, criminal record, DBS enhanced for children, um, two written references, including a reference from the person's most recent employer, talked about the word I just couldn't say, documents, um, evidence of qualifications and a full employment history together with any gaps in employment. So anything additional that you guys can think that... Proof of address... Proof of it. Oh, yes. Proof yeah. of address. You need proof of address. Utility. Um, yeah, Bill. utility bills, yeah, from the last three months. Yeah. That which is important, again, to make yeah. sure that they're still living at the residence. Um, a few other things that I'm thinking of. So if somebody has been abroad for longer than a certain period, yeah. then again, so not just for work, but if they've been. So um, what time frame would you work there, Hannah? In well, terms of running a police check? Yeah, this is a good question. I personally, I, I think it depends on what we're talking about, if they'd be working with children or if they've not been working with children. I go out the country for three months and I get a check. So yeah. I, I get a check on myself or like our DBS, I get it from the country that I go to. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually technically less than three months every time, but I always get the sheriff to write a letter when I'm out for that amount of time. If I was yeah. out for a week while well, I was away, I'm not going to do that. But I'm working with no. children and I'm working for children with sometimes three months. So for me, I would be getting that checked. What about if you had an employee who'd been holidaying abroad for quite some time? Well, if they're holidaying abroad, that's different, isn't it? It's like travelling. Yeah, but you don't know, do you, if they've been working? Yeah, yeah. And not declared. So um, would you do it if they've been away for over, again, maybe three months? Yeah, I would. I'm just trying to, in my head, where my brain's going is how how do you... You, you kind of got to go on what people are telling you, right? I suppose yeah. it would be in their pa- passport on their visa if they've got a working yeah. visa or if they've not got a holiday visa. It's very different. Yeah. So when I work in the States, I always have a working visa. And Absolutely. that's clearly yeah. in yeah. my passport that I have a working visa. Whereas if I was just going on holiday, I'm not working. Oh, this is a, a, a complex side, isn't it? It, it is. It's ex- what makes me think as well recently is what's come to light with children being abused by volunteers abroad. 
Oh, I totally. But the problem yeah. you have... Which is something for another day there to talk about. Absolutely. It is. I think it is because yeah. we're falling under other countries safeguarding there, which is very different. Yeah. What I will say to everybody, though, if you go on the government website, there is instructions around getting DBSs yeah. and stuff on there, yeah, there is. regarding yeah. all countries. Because I've signposted people to the countries that I've worked in before to be like, that's what the requirement is by the government to have. And I've now provided yes. you with that so that's yeah. what i would say yeah there's a full list on there on that as well i think if we've got people that kind of are in the country for work but we need to find their have a copy of their right to work in the uk pod, um documentation yeah. as well absolutely yeah. Stu. yeah yeah um that that's imposing i know we used to kind of keep maybe not the whole job application but the job application um, yeah. Parts yes. of the job application form. Always the whole, no, the whole one, the whole application. Yeah. I would recommend keeping. That's part of the schedule too. A few and other things. Of, I think of what you've you brought me onto there. Sorry, Stu. Yeah, any changes on. in any changes in name? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Again, that that's really important, isn't it? Um, yeah. Just jumping back slightly as well, while it while it's on my mind. A CV is not enough. An application form has to be completed. Now, we probably did talk about that last time, but just to reiterate that, that any employee always has to fill in an application form. A CV is not enough. It's not substantial. And I think that's a really good point, Ian, because I I noticed as well kind of a, a few years ago that I might be getting to an interview stage without having completed an application form and yeah. the, and the completing application forms after the fact, which, again, if that's OK, but, it's again, it's something that kind of needs to be done and ensured that it's done. Another yeah, thing yeah. That, that we like to do was, you know, any kind of contact we had with the people that were going to become employed, we'd make a record of that. Whether it's just, again, it's like, if it's while we're waiting for DBS, just a phone call to reassure them that, you know, we, we haven't forgot you, hope you're well. You know, it, it might even be that you go out and do a visit or something like that, you know, yeah, again, yeah. with their permission and their and their consent, like, you know, just something to... Because it can be a long time from interview to appointment, can't it? You know, it... it, it you know, if depending on DBSs and, and timescales, you know, it, a few weeks, potentially, you know, months, months, couple of months can have passed. So how are we kind of keeping in contact with those people? Um, because we a lot can happen in two months, can't well, it? Well, can I be honest with you? This is what I feel about exactly what you just said. I feel a transition for any staff member should be exactly the same as a transition for a child moving into the home. And I'm not saying uh, as adults a child, what I'm saying is we support people. So uh, for me, if it's a weekly phone call, just giving a check in or an email or let's meet up for a coffee for a catch up, let me inform you where we're at. It's when people kind of don't hear anything um, is the part that is like, well, what's happening? I don't understand. But I do feel like we should transition people exactly how we would want to be transitioned ourselves i know that i would want to just be left i would be like to be updated um so yeah i think that's an important thing to say and that's a really good point for me to come in on again and i can't remember because i have a bad memory if we talked about it last time but actually not allowing people into your children's home or knowing where your children's home until you have that dbs that current up-to-date dbs interviews not taking place in children's homes you know they're taking place off site i don't think we talked about it but um because but i think we've covered it previously but yes. actually just inviting people around to a children's home when you haven't got their dbs and you're not kind of that for 
we can do things sometimes too prematurely, can't we? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think I think it's important to add two things there. One, I couldn't agree with you more. Children's homes for being interviewed, like that's their home. You're just bringing complete strangers in, like that should be your protected space for them. So do it elsewhere. But the other thing I've got to say is the regs got slightly adapted, if we remember last year, and now staff can actually do shadow shifts um, with people. It needs to be risk assessed, and they're not allowed to be yes. left on their own. But that yeah. could be part of this transition is where I'm going with it. Of course, like you said, Stu, they need to be DBS. They need to be on enhanced DBS. It needs to be checked out formally. But part of the transition process can be that they can, as long as they're not left on their own and it's risk assessed and you're happy with it as a manager, they can come in and, and start seeing the children. It could be like yeah. half an hour yeah. one day. It could be, you know, 45 minutes the next time, whatever they feel comfortable with. But it's just, it's just a thought. There were also changes in legislation regarding minor juvenile offences and, and people don't have to necessarily disclose them now, do they? Oh, I don't but know. But it's up Go to on. them. Yeah, that came into play in 2021, if I remember rightly. Okay. I'm terrible with dates, but yeah. So there's certain juvenile offences where people don't necessarily have to disclose them. However, what I would say is there, for me, that would already put the trust on a bit of a back, burn, back foot from the word off. Um, but that, that would always be that person's responsibility to actually check to so see if it, they do need to disclose you, it or not. But would it not be on their DBS? Not necessarily. Right. Like shoplifting as a teenager oh, and things like that. Or like, like a that. caution. Yeah. Or like, like a, a caution. caution, yeah. Yeah, So, okay. um, yeah, they don't necessarily have to now. But I just think, for me, from a value base, it's far better when someone's open and honest and transparent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. It reminds me, and, and, and I don't know if anybody else or if I'm making this up or it was real, that when I first started it, and again, going back to the CRB checks yeah. um, before the rebrand, um, I remember seeing a list of offences that you could have committed and still work in a children's home. And I was quite shocked by what I saw. Oh, wow. um, genuinely, and I'm not going to speculate about it now with, with examples because that would be a bit unfair. Because, uh, I, I again, I don't know if I'm making it up. But I, I just remember seeing a list and I can remember the text in front of me of what it was. Um, which I was found quite bizarre back then. But obviously that was... Times have changed. But, that, well, you know, I was old as God's, God's babysitter. Yeah. Yes, of course. It was the Stone Age, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, OK. Another thing that I just thought that I do think is really, really important to give to staff members in the transition period of coming is a definition of your job role i know that's already on the app i know that's already when you have the recruitment drive out and it's you know with the job spec but i like to put a description personally this is just me i like to put a, a description of the job role in their um staff yeah. file as well yeah absolutely you should, should be I in that, the, but i do no you should be in the schedule two file yeah, yeah I just, should be. Yeah. but I think what we're highlighting is there's the schedule two items that we're talking about, but we've all talked about additional items that we put in our star files. Mm. It's like going above and it's going above and beyond, I think, because also yeah. in in the star file, I tend to have all the training certificates as well. Yeah, supervisions yeah. in there. Keep everything. Yeah, supervision contracts. Yeah, yeah. Kind supervision of stuff. contract. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah. any amendments to contracts and any amendments to working hours, and, and, et cetera. And what that is, is what we talked about in the first one. It's the longevity of the safer recruitment. It's not saying, yeah. no, now we've, we've got you, yeah. we're done. It's, it's, it's like ongoing. we're continuing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Things like um, the appraisals in there, have people met the targets? Yeah. So an appraisal mm-hmm. tracker. Yeah. So instead of waiting until the next 12 months, a quarterly review, are they on target for meeting their their targets for ready for the next appraisal? And, and what are we doing to to act and, and not just leave things? Copies of accident incidents in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, if staff you, injuries like first and things aid like that. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, absolutely. Yeah, it's good to have everything. Oh, I've yeah, sent my door now and I've got to explain what it is. <laughs> What, what is? Oh, no. Riddor. Riddor? Do you say Riddor? I say Riddor. Reporting of injuries, diseases and dangerous occurrences. Sorry, Stu's just talking about his Riddor. <laughs> no, you said Riddor. You, you said Riddor. I said Riddor. I say Riddor. Well, let's call the whole thing off. Riddle. I've always been told Riddle. <laughs> this is my new favourite game, Riddle. It's the old scone scones debate, isn't it? <laughs> That's my There's no favorite. debate. It's scone. <laughs> um, so let's let's go back. Hang on, because there was something I thought about it. Oh, what I was going to say actually was how I, um, having the training certificates is also really good because that also yeah, yeah. talks that that's connected to the regulations as well in many different areas yeah. to help staff yeah. advance with like their qualifications. So anyway, let's move on from the schedule two. I'm just looking at all my little notes that I wrote from last time. Um, we talked about checking identity. We talked about offering them a job. Oh, I know what was the next thing that I was going to think about was um, the induction, the actual yeah, um, yeah. staff induction and how that's part of the safer recruitment. So I think, you know, I know you two love talking about inductions. So, Ian. Do you want to start? Actually, Stu's looking at me like he does. He doesn't want to. So, Stu, would you like to start? And then, Ian, would you like to bounce on top after? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Stu. You love an induction. Oh no, you love winding me up. That's what you love doing. <laughs> um, yeah, inductions. I think I, you know, is it? It's not just about training, is it? I mean, it'd be great. No. I, you know, it's great to get all the training and induction training. And in an ideal world, you, you know, you've got that opportunity to get people trained immediately once they've been there. But again, it's that, it's, is, is it an induction or is it a transition? Is it a better kind yeah. of welcome to the home? And actually, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, we, you know it's it's about welcoming people in, again, with kindness. So one of the things that we kind of like to do was, you know, invite people in and buy them a gift when they arrived, you know, a, a, a toiletry bag because you're going to be sleeping over some slippers to be in the home and, you know, little little token gestures that actually aren't... They're not just they're not just token gestures, they're actually meaningful gestures. Yeah. Um, I think that when we... When we met last time, it had been like I, a, a memory had flashed up on the job that I'd started where I'd received those. And I remember I remember being like really touched by that on, on arrival just because, you know, you're 
you, you, it's not just that you're starting to work, so here's your laptop, here's your phone or whatever it is. It's actually, this is your home away from home, so yeah. this is how you're going to be comfortable. Um, so, you know, inducting people in the right way, you know, um, slowly um, and with, you know, with with some real thought and effort into it. I mean, we came up with induction packs that we made, you know, with a simple way of just kind of personalising them so you made sure the person's name was in there, you know, and and just just things that you can do to kind of make people feel welcome on their on their first day. That you know, and Hannah's Hannah's nice little trick was to let you go early back on your first day, which was always nice. Yeah, I do. I think that's an, and I'm glad you said that, Stu, because there's a couple of reasons I do it. Is actually one, it's exhausting because you're constantly yeah. you're starting somewhere yeah, new. Yeah, yeah. You want to do really well. You want to show that you're good at the job, and it's quite intense. And if you've got kids there already, or if it's a brand new home, you want them to like you. It's just a lot of feelings, which actually is exhausting. So I did like to let people people go early and be like do you know what you've done it well done go home the first day you might have been up early yeah yeah up early you might not have slept the night before because of anxieties yeah. like a hundred percent but also another thing that i like to do on a first day for anyone is when they walk through the door and they're nervous to say to them remember what this feels like because this is what it feels like for a kids on their first day and that, for me, is a really important yeah. feeling. Like, what you're feeling right now, our children feel when they walk through that door. doesn't matter, that, like, how many times they've walked through that door. Or children, they walk, actually, they've walked through too many children's home doors. That's what I can say. And actually, I want this to be the last one. So just remember what you're feeling right now, because they have that 20 times more than what we can imagine. Mm. So that's yeah, kind yeah. of a line I actually always say to people at some point throughout the day. Because it is, it's true. But I do like it to be a bit more relaxed. I do think it should be personal. I do think it should be, do you want a cup of tea? Like, and not just shoved in with, right, you've got 20,000 online courses you need to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and a wad full of plans to read, risk assessments and, and policies. policies. which everyone reads. And then you would turn around and be like, so what did it say? And I'm, I'm not sure. Well, Again, let's link it back to the kids. When your anxieties are that high, you're going to absorb all that much information. Like, I know no, I right. can't. Yeah. No, you can't. So I think it just needs to be a bit more relaxed and a bit more playful in some ways. I love it when, like, you know, especially when you ha you're a fortunate position of a brand new home starting, you've got no children yet, and you can put all the team together to do a bit of team dynamics in a fun way. Or, you know, put the team on training together. It, I've really seen staff team bond, and I'm sure you have, Ian, over depending on the training, but some, you know, they might not be bonding over something like safeguarding training, but they might be bonding over something like team dynamic training or therapeutic yeah. parenting training that actually yeah, met, gets yeah. them to think about themselves and each other. So yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah. but also I, lot, I know a lot of organisations do this and I understand why they do this, but two weeks of back-to-back -back training is exhausting i've just come back from a three-day residential training and i can tell you sunday night i couldn't keep my eyes open because and i loved the training they were delivering mm -hmm. so i was listening really intensely but i felt like i'd been hit by a truck that sunday night and then it, it really got me to think about or everyone who does back-to-back -back training for two weeks and how yeah 
physically and emotionally exhausting that can be. What are your thoughts? And in the same in the same breath, so can online training, because yeah, looking course. at a screen all Absolutely. day long is is you know, it's not just looking at a screen all day long. It's, it's sort of sitting in one position, you know, making sure people are getting up, having a rest, walking around, you know, taking those natural breaks that they need to do because. You know, we we, we all we, we've always said between us that actually one of the most exhausting part of the jobs is thinking thinking for other people oh, God, and thinking yeah. of other people. Yeah. And actually, the higher up you go within the home, the more people you have to think about. Yeah, you know what I mean, and how, and how and how tiring and difficult that can be. Yeah. So let's let's all just remember what it was like, what our first day was like. You know, I remember my first day in the children's home. I you know I put my nicest shirt on, a nice jeans, brand new pair of trainers, and I spent the day sweeping you know so it's <laughs> you know you kind of build and that was fine that's no, part I of the know. role you, that, it's like, I, I can see your face so that's the difference <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know you, you got you, you got somebody trying to make an impression but actually it's you know what what what's normal you know what's normal for people i would say make sure that somebody's there to greet them and it might doesn't have to be the manager ideally you know it could and should be but who's going to be there to greet them to welcome them in and stuff a bit of a like mentor that for the day yeah yeah you've just said what i was going to say next and then you said the word Stuart. buddy ah. systems and I, I i look i just want to reflect here because people might be going what's this to do with safer recruitment safer recruitment is the longevity of keeping your staff team that is also what safer yeah. recruitment is it's keeping your staff team safe your children safe by everybody feeling like they want to stay and to reduce yeah. the staff yeah. turnover that's going on that's all part of yeah. safer recruitment it so is, these yeah, working to reducing burnouts absolutely so all these little things that we're talking about and what make the difference like having a buddy system for a staff member because they might not want to talk to management because they might be feeling a bit awkward hopefully not but it's also the reality is this i don't want to burden them i you know i don't want them to think i don't like them or you know all those insecurities that we all can have at times but actually mm. they can just go and speak to somebody else Else, who's their buddy that that's what their role is to do and they might feel more comfortable doing it and that's the difference between someone coming back the next day and not yeah absolutely um so that, that that's for me ian have you got any more thoughts on that um definitely during the induction period um i know we've talked about supervisions before but making sure that people are having additional supervisions yeah um, yeah a few shift supernumerary first, so they're not counted in the numbers. Yeah. So and and then that also then makes the buddy, you know, a bit more available. Yeah. In in that sense, to to focus on them. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, using the probationary period though, from a safer recruitment. Yeah perspective, that actually that is your time. If it's not working for that staff member. That that's that's your time to use that to your advantage, because it's a lot more difficult to get rid of someone. And I know that sounds harsh, but if there are concerns, it's a lot more difficult when someone's passed that probationary period. Yeah, because yeah, you've, that's you've the then got you've got you've got employment law to consider. So actually, utilise the system um, 
it's more than just a formality. It, it, it's there for a reason, isn't it? You know, absolutely, what we should be taking ownership there, though. What are we doing to support that staff member if then they're not sort of meeting the the bar, if you like, and they're not meeting that performance criteria? You know, we should absolutely be trying our best. But if it's clearly not working and and... That person might have come across very well in an interview and very articulate, but actually in practice, they they can't deliver. Yeah. And th- that really is the time to make use of the probationary period. Again, what I will say is there, um, just jumping ahead a little bit, but should that person, when they progress, let's say they become a senior, should they also have a probationary period then for their new role? Yes. Which I believe... Absolutely, there should should yeah. again be a probationary period for that have. new role. Yeah, should there be a minimum standard? Now I know there isn't in terms of uh, regulation, but in terms of policies and good practice, should somebody have a level three before they become a senior? And the first organisation I worked in, that was the unwritten rule, mm-hmm. and it was a good standard. Now that standard dropped over the time because of challenges with staff. But what we can't afford to do and it's easier said than done, is ever drop our standards yeah. around safer recruitment yeah. to yeah. to compensate for uh, staff shortages. We've still got to maintain a high high level of standards when it comes yeah. to recruitment, um, keeping those expectations around, yeah, what what is a competent staff member. So some things we can work on, can't we? But sometimes definitely you know when maybe this job isn't right for that person. So as I said, use... Use that probationary period for what it's for. You know, don't compromise the integrity of the probationary period. Yeah. Um, uh, do you know what, Ian? I, I don't know how I've got here with what you just said because it's kind of actually off topic. But what I was kind of going to where my brain wandered was around what I don't think we're very good at in our world is creating flexibility in job roles. Yeah. What I mean by that is... Uh, and Stu, actually, you're probably the best person to talk about this. But like, why don't we see very many people do part time roles? Like, I, mm. Stu, you remember in the first place we managed, we went out of our way to hire two part time roles because it created way more flexibility and actually you instead of having one person who would want to do overtime we had two people that wanted to do overtime because they were both in part-time roles that wanted to do additional parts and it it just worked better and i don't you just don't see it or like the changing of different times on shifts everything's so structured and rigid like because residential's always done it, we stick to it. I think, and I've got to put it out there, I think it's really hard to also be pregnant in re- in residential. I think yeah, it can it be, yeah. It's re- and I mean that as a woman, pregnant woman, but I also mean as a father too, clearly, on paternity and taking time yeah. out. It's really hard to have children in residential when you're sleeping in all the time, you're away from your family for two days, four days, whatever it is in different organisations, because that's the way it's always been. But why can't we think outside of the box more? Because... That's what we do for our kids, but we're not doing it for ourselves. And I suppose I'm going to hand over to you, Stu, on this bit, because I know you feel quite strongly on this as well. Yeah, Yeah, I do, because it's, you know, 
what we're doing is we're looking for the easiest option and the easiest option is to have three teams where the shift pattern rolls like this and this and yeah. this because actually that's the easiest thing to fit and anybody that's done rotors assign people to shift knows that genuinely that is the best way yeah. you know it, it kind of fits and I and how do we kind of strike that balance um it can it can be difficult i've i've said about myself personally there's a reason why i'm no longer working in children's homes and that's because i don't want to sleep at work yeah and and every when i kind of flirt with the idea of returning i look at kind of a role and it so always talks about shift patterns and and kind of be you know sleeping in and i'm like oh, no and now i'm not and that's not to say that it's not necessary i don't disagree with him i just i've done my time and i think that i mean there's so many opportunities that we can we, we, we can use and sometimes you know can we overstaff because we kind of keep people in what you said about the part-time staff is spot on yeah. you know there's people that that you know that might just want to do a couple of hours here and there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and stuff like that, just to have people available that can kind of do a job that, you know, sometimes, you know, imagine you've got, you know, you've got all, all your staff on shift, but, they, you know, there's, there's times where things are a bit tricky. Why not bring somebody in that can come along and, you know, offer somebody a bit of rest time uh, or, you know, someone to come in and cook the dinner or or just do something. I think we, we're, we're kind of, we're limiting ourselves on, on, um, to a, to a certain prescription of how things should be and I think as a result we're losing people and actually that could be you know think about back when we said that there might be somebody that actually isn't ready for the role but they could do a couple of hours or three hours a week yeah do you know and what then I mean? that's or six a good way of getting experience yeah see when, when do we offer that experience yes we have to pay for it but we're paying for it anyway you know um, through agency staff and, and all those yeah, those, yeah, those yeah. kind of things I think we've. I think, I think in the current climate of retention and and kind of competitiveness, I think we have to we have to be a bit more proactive and, and flexible and kind of you know again not to sound like a you know a training course but out of the box thinking because yeah, we we become set in our ways that it, it must look like this. You've made me think, Stu. Talking about that, that actually the first time I worked in. I can actually now I think about it. I think there were at least three part-time staff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I first started, and over time, there were actually probably closer to half a dozen. I appointed somebody once that only wanted to work weekends. He was fantastic. He was a godsend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was an absolute godsend. Yeah. But the thing is, you're you're laughing though, because I when I was at university, that's what and I worked only weekends. That was, that was the hours I was contracted, was weekends. What I will say is, though, thinking on the other side of that, how actually that could cause problems in terms of safe recruitment. So let's say, for example, we were really desperate to employ someone to work weekends to free up the rest of the team, but actually we recruit the wrong person because we're so focused just on that person mm -hmm. making life easier and actually missing that this person could be offering to just do weekends to gain access. Of course, but we don't miss our steps that we've we've talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah. And what we what we've talked about is how actually those steps, if you just do that bare minimum, 
you know, to meet the standard, yeah, is is that a little bit easier to slip through the net? But if you add those extra layers that we've talked about, you know, like when we talked about kind of looking at references, triangulating those things. Safeguarding interviews. If you don't compromise on those things, and then then that's that's right. And I don't I don't think we utilise relief staffing off as well, like recruiting to relief. You need to invest in bank stuff, absolutely. The only the reason I came to that was because I think it's a brilliant idea and I didn't want to be negative around it. But no, also you've got to think, now nah, that person's going to have less contact with management if they only work weekends. Well, it depends, though, on that because it could be the fact that you've got... You always work at the seniors or an assistant managers on. Like I'm actually thinking the first home I worked at, two assistant managers, I think they both or at least one of them was part-time and the other yeah. one, they did. They both worked alternate weekends. It was yeah, a big home, so don't get yeah. me wrong, but there was always yeah. an assistant manager or a senior on every other weekend. I mean, that's what we did, Stu, if you remember. There was a senior on one weekend, there was an assistant manager on one weekend. There was a senior yeah. on one weekend, there was an assistant manager. Like, we always had a, a senior member of staff was on shift on a weekend because I do think that should be done anyway. And then the manager was on call. Yeah, and again, that diversification is that a word of the, of of that role? Is that you know again, if if I'm if I'm the assistant manager or deputy manager, you know, and we've got somebody that works weekends, you know what? Every so often, you know, every few weeks, I'll I'll pop in and I'll kind of yeah, I'll, you know, I'll go in, I'll do a supervision, I'll observe, I'll do this, I'll do that, you know, as long as it's raining and there's no golf to be played, I'll I'll be there. <laughs> he's 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 looking for a job, playing. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think the point is what we're saying is I, I hear more and more and more now. There is fewer and fewer people that have been in the industry as long as we have. And the very few people that I hear that are in the industry now for longer than, well, sometimes it feels like six weeks these days, but like longer than two years, they're tired and they don't want to do the level of hours that they've been doing. So let's adjust yeah. that. Let's look at mm -hmm. that. Where can we change that? What can we do for that? Versus, and, and sometimes it's going to be, well, this we can only do this way. And that's fair. But I do question that we can get stuck in our ways and we're not helping ourselves. We're not moving with the times. Because someone said to me, um, oh, we'll never be able to do four-day weeks. And I said, yeah, we could. We absolutely could do four-day weeks. It just depends on how we staff it and how we work the rotor. It absolutely can be done. Like sometimes, depending on the rotor patterns, depending on what people would do, you might have five days off in one week and only be working two. Like, that is the beauty of our world as well, is there is so much flexibility, but in some ways we're a little bit stuck. And then that's why I wanted just to mention it, because it's all part, again, if you were a bit more flexible, you wouldn't have to be recruiting so much, yeah, hopefully. Absolutely. Or it eliminates yeah, yeah. a variable anyway. I'm not saying it eliminates everything, but it eliminates something, doesn't it? And I suppose... Probably the final thing that I've got on my list, and let me know if you two have anything else, a major part to safer recruitment that I just don't think is ever done is training on staff burnout. What are we going to do to stop staff burnout? Let's talk about it. And I'm not going to go into burnout and stuff and secondary trauma and all that jazz because we have another podcast on that that people can go back to and listen to. But my point is, 
we're not talking about the elephant in the room. And we have to talk about the elephant in the room because that in itself is a protective factor. The not talking about it is what makes people vanish. And what I I would say that the vast majority of abuse that does happen in children's homes isn't from actually, it is, it's due to burnout. It's not from staff deliberately trying to get access. Yeah. It's actually because of burnout that their practice is effective. Absolutely. And they've lost that empathy and they're frustrated and they snap. Yeah, I totally or, agree or, with you, Ian. Yeah, yeah it's, but often when, when we think about safeguarding, we, we think about a predator trying to get access. But actually, not all abuse is that calculated. Abuse yeah. can be circumstantial, and we've got to remember that a big part is burnout. Mm. And that's why it's so important to put in safer recruitment, <laughs> because it's keeping everyone safe. Yeah. I was just thinking the importance of when somebody's been off sick, Doing a return yeah, to work absolutely. immediately. Those sort of things, they all play a part. A and debrief, a transition. Yeah, debriefs <laughs> at the end of every shift. Yeah. Reflection at the end of every shift. Um, yeah. You know, debriefs after significant incidents that should sometimes be revisited when someone's actually had time to process. Yeah. So and not, then, not just then... an immediate, but a revisit sometimes where appropriate. And I'm I'm just laughing because of what I could hear Stu say in the background and put it in the file. <laughs> but he's right. I'm laughing because I just heard it chip over. But no, you're right. Put it in. Put it in the file. It's because it, it's, it, that was you were my earworm telling me that you don't forget to put it in the file. Don't forget I, to put it in the file, Stu. And when you've done that, put it in the file, Stu. I love that people can see he's bouncing his head like he's talking to me back in, back when I tell it. I know, but you, but at least you remember, don't you? No, no, and 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 again in jest, I think sometimes you know that it is drilled home because again that's that that's that complacency, and I think. I think for me, I think when we look about recruitment, it doesn't stop at the day they're appointed. It doesn't stop at the no. day the probation's completed. It never stops. Recruitment is continual and it has to get... And, it, and for that reason, I think it needs a better word, but I'll work on that. Well, what about safer employment? Safer employment, yeah, I like that. Rather than safer recruitment, yeah. that, that, that suggests an ongoing, doesn't it? I like that, um, Ian, safer employment. Yeah, it does. It, it gives longevity. Yeah. And also, Ian, that marketing is what I do, so don't yeah. do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. No, that is good. Sorry, that I'm safe good. over a screen. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. No, genuinely amazing. So another thing that I thought of regarding, I'm going to call it safer employment now because um, of what you said, Ian, one is another area that we can help with safer employment is by also, it is much... I don't know where cheap is right, but it is a lot better if staff, um, if organisations give people pay rises versus losing them because the cost of a recruitment drive is very expensive. So if you've got a staff member who's doing really well and who just wants a pay rise because for many different reasons, then I always say to people, is it cheaper for them to go or you to give them that pay rise because you've said no to them and then they leave and go elsewhere for money. So that's that that's something I wanted to say, along with the other thing that I wanted to say is everything we've talked about 
is the safer recruitment policy for organizations because people have said to me oh i like the sound of what you said about the safer recruitment policy what what is that we're talking about it everything we've said it can could be part of your safer recruitment policy or procedures and i just wanted to add that bit in there so that's my final thoughts Stu, and then ian you talk about yours I, i i do want to go back to what you just said about kind of you know pay rises, payments, all that kind of stuff. And it's a hot topic for, for, for me currently to, uh, in, in my current role is, is talk about retention payments. And I think what are we kind of rewarding our people for? Because where are people, you know, um, and, I, you know and I know it's not about money, but, it, you know, sometimes it can just be, you know, you know, a gift or an extra day's leave or something that you can offer people to reward them for their for their loyalty, for their hard work, for their kind of continuous development. You know, it's it's not just it's not just you can go on this training because you've been here, but actually, you know what? Here's a here's a weekend off, or you know, we've yeah. got this caravan over here. Go and have a go and have a break for a few days. Take yeah. your family. Yeah. Here's a spa you know, day for two people. Here's a golf trip, golf yeah, trip. If yeah, anyone wants spa, to buy me anything, spa golf trip, yeah, here. yeah. But but those sort of things, they don't have to be written. They can just be kind of, you know, some. Sometimes you can just do something that's that's kind and nice. And actually, it's a couple of hundred quid. But actually, that's cheap. Yeah, that's cheap yeah, yeah. in yeah. comparison yeah. to what that might feel like for somebody. You know, where where do we do? You know, make sure we kind of. You remember when people's birthdays are and kind of, you know, making sure that, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a card or, you know, a box of chocolates, just something daft, just really to feel like, actually, I feel like part of something here. You could do something little that can mean so much and it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be a big payment. That, that for me was, you know, we need, we need to reward people for kind of, you know, sticking around and doing a good job, not just by their pay, but just by other, other means. By yeah, totally. Just by being seen, to be honest. And then, Ian, what's your mm-hmm. final? Um, so, when you mentioned the safer recruitment policy, there, I think there's definitely another policy that really ties in with the continual process of safer employment, and that that is our whistleblowing policy and and procedures and our duty to raise a concern around yeah. anything that we're not happy with. So, yeah, everyone has got a duty around safer recruitment and, and safer employment it's not just the manager's job or the staff who were trained in safer recruitment we've we've still all got a part to play in that and report any concerns around staff's practice or other professionals practice as well okay i agree thank you ian right guys i think we've probably chewed the ear off everyone now we've we've talked about <laughs> this um area we we clearly have a lot of opinions on it but i hope that was helpful that was anybody <laughs> I hope people got some thought out of it. This is never about us saying we're right and wrong. We're just putting uh, over what our experiences are being, what our own thoughts are. So I hope it has helped in some way. If you disagree or agree, hopefully on some areas anyway. But for that, everybody, have a lovely evening and we will speak to you next month. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Adios.